Military Mom Talk Radio. We know behind every soldier, sailor, airman, and marine is the family supporting them. Now, in our 16th season, with over 500 episodes in 17 countries, we are Radio Strong. Now, here are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. everybody this is sandra beck and i'm here with richard capriola and we are talking about substances that are in use by today's teen we're going to talk about how did the pandemic change teen substance abuse and we're going to talk about the reason why some of our teens are making the choices that they do and warning signs that parents can be aware of and we have had a couple shows together i'm here today with richard capriola an expert on this i'm so glad you're here today to educate myself as well as other parents listening today Thank you, Sandra. I appreciate the opportunity to, to be here today and to talk about this uh, important topic of adolescent substance abuse. I really appreciate you uh, joining in the conversation. It's so important. You know, I just sat in a meeting at my kid's high school, you know, and they were talking, uh, the, the figures were astronomical. Now we're in Los Angeles and, you know, we're not in a particularly large or small high school, you know, and the usage is upwards of 60% of the student population. And to me, that was astronomical. Does that surprise you in any way? No, it doesn't surprise me. Um, you know, the, the percentages are, you know, very scary, uh, especially for parents. Uh, and I think that these drugs are so widely available on the street and uh, kids have easy access to them. So um, I'm not I'm not surprised to, to see the numbers uh, where they are. Right now, did the did the pandemic increase usage or decrease uses what you know because kids were home you know on like some of them were supervised some were unsupervised yeah. you know if their parents were first responders you've got kids that were home all day long unsupervised yeah that, that yes that's correct and uh, prior to the pandemic i think the thing that was most alarming was the dramatic increase in vaping vaping nicotine and vaping marijuana for three years prior to the pandemic the numbers were just going up and up and up it was really alarming the pandemic came along and it had the it, what happened was uh, it had the result of 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 basically adolescent substance abuse declining significantly for the reasons that you just mentioned. Many kids were staying at home. They were doing online learning. They weren't associating with their peers involved in sports activities or any extracurricular activities. So during that pandemic year, we saw a dramatic increase across the board in alcohol, drugs. Um, it just declined significantly. Now, we have new data that came out earlier this year about what happened a year after the pandemic. And what we saw was a slight rebound in adolescents returning to substance use, still below the pre-pandemic level, mm -hmm. but, but above what it was during that year of pandemic. The substance that increased the most after the pandemic was alcohol use. Alcohol use among uh, high school seniors um, actually 
you know, rebounded more than any other substance. It went from 46% of high school seniors to 52% drinking alcohol. Before the pandemic, it was 55%. So it's not back to per, uh, pandemic levels, but it's the one substance that a year after the pandemic, we see the biggest increase in use among adolescents. Do you think that's because it's cheap versus some of the other things? Like, what role does the economy, you know, and, and you know, so many families suffered financially during the um, pandemic, you know, you need to have money to buy some of these things? Yeah, I think alcohol is just one of the substances that's readily available to teenagers. You know, when, when we ask them, how easy is it for you to get alcohol? Over 80% of them tell us it's not a big deal. Right. We ask them, how easy is it for you to get marijuana? Again, a large percentage of them tell us it's, it's, it's not hard to get these drugs at all. And then we ask them, well, how dangerous are these drugs? You know, how dangerous is it to drink alcohol almost every day? How dangerous is it to smoke marijuana on a regular basis? And they tell us they don't think that's very dangerous at all. Right. So you've, you've got drugs that are widely available and these kids know it and they don't think they're very dangerous. So that's a perfect setup for the substance abuse that we're seeing out there. No, and in fact, you know, talking to my own kids and their friends, they think, especially marijuana, it's natural, it's healthy. And they're like, hey, alcohol's healthy. You know, it came from, from plants. You know, it's amazing the wraparound the teen brain can do to justify the use of these things that it's completely safe and it's fine. It, 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 that's that's true. They they don't think that these drugs are, are very dangerous. They see alcohol as being legal for adults. They see marijuana as being legal for adults in many states. Uh, they don't see any significant harm to them. But what they're missing is the brain. Mm -hmm. What they're missing is what these substances do to an adolescent brain that is in the process of maturing and developing. Our brains don't become fully developed until around age 24, 25. Mm -hmm. So what these kids don't recognize is the potential damage to the brain that alcohol or marijuana or any illicit substance might be doing. It not, may not be readily avail, uh, observable, but, but underneath the surface, those substances are, are acting within a developing brain and they could potentially be uh, inflicting some damage. Richard, I'm going to just jump in here for a second because as we talk about signs that parents can look for to recognize in teen addiction, I want to thank our sponsor. Our sponsor today is KiwiCo and they make shows like this possible. They not only help us with our kids, but they help create hands-on projects that build creative confidence and problem solving. I want you guys to go to KiwiCo.com. That's K-I-W-I-C-O.com slash military mom where you'll get 50% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line. Now, while I'm talking, I want you to go to KiwiCo because they are defining the future of play by making it engaging, enriching, and seriously fun. They create these super cool hands-on projects designed to create a lifelong love of learning among kids. And this is just not for kids. I mean, I had as much fun as anybody. And we did the bottle rocket, Raleigh and I, and we had so much fun. First of all, the crate comes in the mail. Kids love getting mail. He opened it up and all the parts are in there. And this was his first crate and it was a bottle rocket 
and it was super fun because it cultivated his natural creativity and curiosity. So we started looking up rockets and bottle rocket contests online. It, it, it became a thing. It became a whole thing. And we explored this new world. And, you know, we didn't even have to leave home. And I didn't have to go pick up anything. Everything was there in the crate. And you can discover everything from the science of magic to engineering a domino machine. So much more. And the pride and accomplishment on his face at the end of the KiwiCo project was so great. He had so much confidence. And we were ready to go and do another crate. You know, can't wait for it to come next month to support that ongoing tinkering and experimentation. So if you like what you heard today and you want to redefine learning with play and explore hands-on projects that build creative confidence in problem solving, go to KiwiCo. Get 50% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line at kiwico.com slash military mom. That's 50% off your first month at kiwi, K-I-W-I-C-O.com slash military mom. You will be so glad you did. You have to go check them out. They're super cool. Now we're talking today with Richard Capiola and I'm going to play devil's advocate because I, I talked to my kids who are teenagers in this graphic <laughs> before today's show and my 19 year old fired back at me. He's a, a college student at UCSB. Now, he, you know, what he does, I don't know. He's 19, but he threw back at me, mom, he goes, more people end up in the hospital because of acetaminophen, which is the drug in Tylenol or, you know, we yeah. get it every... And then 500 people die a year. There's 2,600 hospitalizations. And I really didn't have an answer back to that going, do I not give my kid Tylenol when he has a headache? And we're not, you know, we're not, you know, talking about Tylenol specifically. We're talking about acetaminophen. But but how would you answer that, Richard, to my kids who tossed that my way when I talked about the topic for today's show? Well, there is a potential to abuse any substance, whether it's legal or illicit or illegal, whether it's over the counter or prescribed, there is the potential to abuse any medication. Um, and And if an individual is going to abuse it, they're going to abuse it. Um, but the question is not, can it be abused? But the question is, do these young men and women understand the dangers associated with abusing a substance, particularly the dangers associated with what it's doing, potentially doing to their brains? Um, I, I have seen teenagers who have been smoking a lot of marijuana uh, and, um, and, and, and when the psychological, uh, test results come back on these young men and women, what I noticed was that the processing speed of their brain was below average, their short-term memory was impaired, and their motivation was very low. Some of these changes you might not readily observe. Uh, You know, we saw them because of the psychological testing uh, Mm -hmm. that we did. So they may not be readily observable, but they are working underneath the surface. So while you may think that smoking marijuana may not be causing any damage, you don't know that. You don't know what it's doing to the brain, that you may not know for years uh, the, the damage that that substance might potentially have done to your brain. Right. No, I, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm right there with you um, on these things. And the other question that my kids asked, and, you know, these were fair questions, and I think they're, you know, good to discuss, because I think a lot of parents are going to get the same pushback from their kids is, well, how much is a lot? You know, how much is too much? 
you know is it one thing to you know to go to a party on the weekend you know versus daily use like um i don't i didn't know what to say with that i personally don't do anything so therefore i'm i was invalidated because i don't drink i don't smoke i don't really do any of this type of stuff so they're like well mom you know you just say no to everything which is true. <laughs> and I do. Well, That's my lifestyle. But so what do you say when, you know, how much is too much or is one too much? Any amount is too too much because any amount, again, has the potential of interacting with the developing brain and causing some type of, of, of reaction, some type of damage. Now, you don't know if the damage is going to be done after one exposure or five exposures or 10 exposures. You don't know because every brain is developed differently. Every brain is maturing differently. But it's like playing Russian roulette. You don't know when the gun's going to go off. Right. You may think smoking marijuana once or twice is not going to do any damage, but then you get some marijuana that's may, maybe tainted with an illicit substance, yeah. and that one time sends you over the edge. So my my position is any substance use, any substance use is risky. Is a risk, right. And I agree. I mean, I'm right there with you. That's my point of view. Um, I do have a question, too, about... Um, you know, we've got some teens that are in, a, in the failure to, to thrive era of post-COVID, you know, the doomsday scrolling with, you know, spending all this time on social media and just, you know, the, the, the constant influence into that. And then they pick up a vape because they're over 18. They can buy it anywhere. They can buy these substances anywhere to hopefully make themselves feel better. What I see just as a layman, I'm watching these kids stay at home, not work, choose not to go to school. You know, these are some of our best bright kids that should be going to school. And the parents go, oh, well, they're depressed. You know, there's a high rate of depression since COVID. Well, which came first, the chicken or the egg? And if you're, you're using substance, to cure depression when you're doomsday scrolling, like to me, that's a huge disaster waiting to happen. I think it is. And 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 for some kids, uh, not all, but for some kids, they are using a substance to medicate an underlying emotional issue. Maybe it's depression, maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's some type of trauma, maybe it's an emerging personality disorder. Mm -hmm. But those young men and women are using a substance to medicate an underlying emotional issue that unfortunately doesn't get, in many cases, diagnosed and doesn't get treated. When I was treating teenagers at Menninger Clinic in Houston, Texas, uh, the ones that were smoking a lot of marijuana, I would ask them, help me understand why you're smoking so much marijuana. And the number one answer that came back was, it helps me with my anxiety. Yeah. So, so for some kids, not all kids, but for some kids, there may be an underlying psychological reason why that child is drinking alcohol, using marijuana, doing whatever they're doing. And maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's depression, maybe it's a, any other reason. But unfortunately, we put the focus on the substance abuse. And, and many times we miss the underlying emotional reason why that child is using a substance. And that sadly gets untreated. Right. 
Right. How do you know, you know, you've got, you know, and I, you know, and I think of some of these kids that I've talked to and I say, you know, I think you're depressed. I think, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're not going to college. You're not working. Like, how could you feel good about yourself? Like, how could you, you know, you're 18, 19, 20 years old. I mean, I obviously didn't say it that rudely, but, but where do you start with somebody like that? Like, do you, you put them in like cognitive behavioral therapy? Do you put them in a, in an AA program or a Narconon? Like what would a parent do in this case? You have a nine, I'll give you an example. You got a 19 year old was very smart in, you know, second or third in his grade in, in high school didn't get his college applications out on time, got rejected from everywhere because of lateness, choose to work at like a Target, Walmart, big box store. Two years later, doesn't have any interest in going to school. School's free here in California. So you just have to show up at the community college level, fails everything. But the kid says, I'm not depressed. I just don't feel like doing it. I don't want to do anything. I don't care. Now what? And because that's not an uncommon story among the parents in my peer group. Yeah, and, and that's a tough one because technically the child is 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 no longer a child, they're an adult. But they're know, a so, teen. They're still in they're, their teen years. They're still in their teens, but you know, if they're 18, 19 years old, you know, it's different than if they're 12, 13, 14, or 15. Um, and if they're living at home, you know, you have, you know, you have a certain amount of control over the situation. Um, and I think that as parents, what we have to do is we have to set the boundaries. We have to make it very clear that this is the expectation that we have for you. Um, you know, if you're going to be living here, you have to have a job or you have to be in school. These are the expectations. And if you're unwilling to do that, then there has to be consequences associated with that. Ideally, what you want to do is work with the young man or the young woman to get some type of an assessment done so that you can figure out or so that you have some professional assessment and advice as to what's going on. Is this young man or young woman truly depressed? And if so, what's the extent of the depression? Is there something else going on that perhaps can be treated and medicated? But but as parents, we're not the experts necessarily. Right. We see the symptoms, but we don't know the cause. And that's where we have to rely on professionals to do the assessments. Now, it may be very well be that um, the young man or young woman doesn't want to do an assessment. That's not unusual. I never met a teenager that wanted to go in and do an assessment. <laughs> I never met a teenager that wanted to go into treatment. But but as parents, I'm guessing it's probably not the first time you heard your child tell you no. So you have to you have to insist that if you're going to live here, you know, and 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 I'm going to help support you, which I'm willing to do, then we have to get some assessments done to find out what's going on. You know, we can't just allow this to continue. We need to get some professional advice and assessments. And that's what we're going to do. So, okay. I, you know, I love that idea. What's the next step? Do you, do you look for a therapist or somebody specializing in teen? Or do you go right to addiction? Do you like for, for those of us who don't know what the next steps are, what are the next steps to getting your teen help? 
The next steps are to get the assessments done that I recommend in my book. Uh, you're going to want an addictions assessment to see if the child is using substances. And if so, you know, what's the extent of their use of substances? You're going to want to get a psychological assessment to see if there's any of these underlying issues that your child might be struggling with. You're going to want to get a complete physical exam to make sure that there's nothing physically that might be contributing to, to how they're feeling and how they're behaving. So you need to get those assessments done from the professionals that will be able to do these assessments, rule in or rule out if there's any problems and if there are, give you a diagnosis and a treatment plan. Now, if your child is in the school system, elementary, secondary school system, you can start by, by talking to the school counselor, the school social worker, or the school psychologist. Uh, explain to them what your concerns are. Many of them are very capable of doing some of these assessments. And if not, they can refer you to other professionals in the community who can get them done. So if your child is in the school system, uh, the you know elementary, secondary school system, I would begin by having a conversation with a school counselor, social worker, or psychologist. Okay. Um, if your child is in college, or of college age living at home, then I think you can um, you can reach out to um, to to uh, private counselors, private uh, psychologists. You probably want to find a psychologist or a professional counselor that can do these assessments. The goal here is just to get a comprehensive assessment so that as a parent and you know exactly what what is what it is that has to be dealt with. So it's very important to get these assessments done if you're concerned. Gotcha. I just didn't know the languaging, you know, or where to, you know, do you look or do, and this is again, a question that I don't know, do counselors, do they, do you look up teen counselor? Do you look up high school counselor? Like, how do you go about getting a counselor? I know for me, my insurance just gives me a list and says, pick one. You know, I can't imagine all counselors are skilled in all areas. No, they're not. And, and again, that's why I say you start with a school counselor who has experience and training with dealing with adolescents. That's why they're school counselors. Uh, the same for school psychologists and school social workers. These are individuals who specialize in, in working with adolescents uh, because they're employed by the school district to work with these kids. <clears throat> Excuse me. So that's why I say that that's that's a good starting point for you. If you want to look in the community, you want to look for somebody who specializes in adolescence, whether it is a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a social worker, you want some someone who specializes and has experience working with the adolescent population. Gotcha. Gotcha. I mean, this is very helpful because as a parent, you know, if my kid has a fever, I'm like, okay, I can go to the doctor or I can mm -hmm. call for a nurse's visit. But I don't think most of us as parents know what to do to help a child that has a problem outside of a, you know, a busted knee or a, you know, a yeah. broken fingernail, you know, things like that. That's beyond the scope of us as most parents who don't, that we're not familiar with that counseling community, you know, just the idea of using the term assessment, using the term adolescence, you know, things like that will help the parent communicate to get the right type of help for their for their child, whether it's an adolescent child or a young adult child. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah, because I think that's really hard for parents. I think it's hard for all of us. Um, what are some of the warning signs 
Um, you know, we talked about a, an adolescent or a teen that's like, I don't care. I don't care about my grades. I don't care about school. I'm not really interested in anything, you know, as flags for maybe there's something bigger at play. What are some other warning signs parents should look out for? Well, I think warning signs are the are the one thing that I think parents need to know about. Uh, because so many times as parents, we miss the warning signs. Uh, and we miss them because nobody told us what to look for. Right. And then we're caught off guard and it becomes a situation where we have to deal with it uh, oftentimes as a crisis. And <clears throat> it was the motivation to write my book, The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. And in that book, I put warning signs for a child that might be drinking alcohol. I put warning signs for a child that might be smoking marijuana. I put warning signs for a child that might be developing an eating disorder mm -hmm. and warning signs for a child that might be self-injuring themselves because sometimes these uh, self-injury eating disorders, they can accompany a child using substances. So parents need to know what to look for in those areas as well. As a general rule, what I say to parents is pay attention to the changes that you see in your child. You know your child better than anyone. So don't assume that some of the changes that you're seeing is just normal adolescent acting out behaviors. They may very well be that, but they may be an indication that there's something else going on underneath the surface that you need to pay attention to. Some examples would be a child whose grades are starting to decline. A child who used to participate in sports or other extracurricular activities no longer shows an interest or desire to do so. A child who used to introduce you to their friends now becomes very secretive of who their friends are and where they've been and, and comes in at different times during the day and the evening and is very secretive about what they've been doing. And then, of course, if you find any drug paraphernalia around the house, any strange odors, these can also be warning signs. So for some of these warning signs, I think just be be aware of the changes that you see in your child. And if they come and go fairly quickly, it's probably not too concerning. But if these changes tend to linger on and on, and then you start to see more and more of these changes, then I think it's important that you get the assessments done that I recommend in my book so that you can get some professional advice as to why these changes are occurring. Absolutely, absolutely. And knowing, you know, where to begin, um, I think is is one of the biggest things. I mean, getting a copy of your book, where can people get a copy of your book? The book is available on Amazon. It's available as a Kindle for people who like to read on their Kindle or in paperback. Uh, the easiest way is to go to the book's website, which is www.helptheaddictedchild.com, helptheaddictedchild.com. When you get to the site, you can read uh, book reviews, you can read endorsements, there's some interesting blog articles that you might want to might want to take a look at. And there's a link that will take you directly to Amazon, where if you wish, you can purchase the book as a Kindle or as a paperback. What what um, what inspired you to write this book? You know, why why did you put this out there? 
I, I wanted to help parents because so many times I found parents who missed the warning signs. They didn't know what to look for because nobody told them what to look for. And it got to be a crisis situation and got out of control to the point where they had to admit their child to the hospital. And that is a very, um, very emotionally traumatic experience for any parent. And, and I saw the pain that these parents were going through. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to write this book to give parents the information that I hope that they will find useful, especially the warning signs. But also, in addition to the warning signs, if you're looking for treatment, what are your treatment options? What questions should you ask a potential treatment provider? Right. Um, you know, and, and what resources are out there for parents? And I put all that into about a hundred pages because you know, parents are busy. They don't have time to read a lot right. of material. So I wanted to make it very easy and very quick to read. And there's separate check sections on the different kinds of drugs that are out there. You know, as parents, they know about alcohol and marijuana, but they may not know some of these other drugs that are out there on the street. So I included some brief chapters to just help parents know a little bit more about all the different variety of drugs that, that are out there that kids may have access to. Mm -hmm. Well, and I loved what you said about, you know, the underlying, you know, issues that, you know, that are underneath what, you know, what the behavior is, you know, why are they vaping? Why are they drinking? And I, you know, I think it's it's hard for parents to to you know they're not trained psychologists they're not trained psychiatrists like there's right. there's a lot going on and that you know but I what I think that parents can't do is just go oh well it'll sort itself out. That's a very dangerous approach, uh, you know, because oftentimes it doesn't sort itself out and it escalates into a crisis situation where the parent is really really forced to make some very difficult decisions about mm -hmm. treatment. So again, the earlier you can catch these warning signs, the earlier you can in intervene and hopefully it won't become a crisis and you can deal with this in a, in a way that uh, will allow you to feel better as a parent and, and also get some help for your children. The other thing that I would say is if you find yourself in a situation where you are um, where you have a child that's using a substance and maybe they're going to go into treatment, inpatient, intensive outpatient, uh, residential, whatever it may be. It's very important that as a parent, you build a support system around yourself because you're going to need it. This is going to be a journey. Having a child that's abusing a substance or addicted to a substance is going to be a journey and, 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 and you're going to need a support system around you. Maybe it's another family member. Maybe it's your church community, maybe it's a support group, a community-based support group, whatever it is, it's important that you have a support system to be with you on this journey. Gotcha, gotcha. Or and having your own personal counselor or therapist, whatever your, you know, insurance allows you to do or yes. whatever you can, you know, that's, that's, you know, I found that that was very helpful for me at certain points in my life in as part of the parenting process. Absolutely. Uh, I want to thank you for being my guest today. Can you give us the title of your book again? Yes, it's The Addicted Child. Help the Addicted. I'm sorry. Uh -huh. uh, it's called the, uh, um, the Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, thank you so much for being my guest today. And thank you for putting this book together to help other parents. We'll be back again soon with another great episode. Thank you, Sandra. Thanks for tuning in to Military Mom Talk Radio. Want more information? Check us out at militarymomtalkradio.com or find us on iTunes for more than 500 free episodes. Drop us an email or find us on Facebook. We are looking forward to another great discussion. We hope you'll join us on Military Mom Talk Radio.